Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm so glad you could join me for this special edition of the Voices in My Head podcast. I say it's a special edition because it's a Christmas episode, so if you're not listening to this in the Advent or Christmas season, you may want to wait till next year or come back. But here's the thing, this may not be here next year. Now, I don't say that because the podcast is going anywhere so if you're a fan of the podcast and you've been listening for a while don't fear it's not going anywhere Um, but I wanted to tell you that this episode may not be on for very long depending on the response that I get I know it's time sensitive and I wanted to share this before Christmas came and the story that I'm going to share on the episode today is by a two-time Grammy Award winner named Bill Harley and Bill Harley is really an amazing writer. He does a lot of children's songs. He does a lot of stories that are shared on places like NPR. I reached out and tried to get him on the episode today, and I wasn't able to do that. And I reached out to try to get permission to share this on the episode, and I wasn't able to get confirmation. So here's what I did. I sent an email, and I told him I was going to share this story with him reading it, and I would also give links to his website and make sure that I give all credit where all credit credit is due since this is not a for-profit profit podcast or anything like that. But it's a really wonderful story that I wanted to share with you. So BillHarley.com, B-I-L-L-H-A-R-L-E-Y.com. Now, his people may get back to me and say, we didn't give you permission, so take this off of your podcast, please. And I am happy to do that if they would like that to happen. But I wanted to, because Christmas is coming fast and because it was time sensitive, I wanted to go ahead and share this. So I don't own this and I don't claim that this is mine. I want to give all credit where credit is due to Bill Harley. I just really found it to be a wonderful story in the spirit of the holiday, in the spirit of generosity, and how sometimes we don't exactly end up doing the wonderful thing that we wanted to do. We don't always end up being as altruistic as we would like to be. So quickly, let me read Bill Harley's uh, bio to you straight from his website and I I encourage you to go to billharley.com because he's a wonderful writer and you should check out what he's doing and then I'm going to play a story called The Christmas Club by Bill Harley read by Bill Harley so this is Bill Harley's bio on his website Bill Harley is a two-time Grammy winning award artist Sorry, let me start that over. Bill Harley is a two-time Grammy Award-winning artist, recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Council of the Humanities, and an NPR commentator. Bill's songs and stories paint a vibrant and hilarious picture of growing up, schooling, and family life. Home of Zanzibar, Monsters in the Bathroom, 50 Ways to Fool Your Mother, You're in Trouble, Dad Threw the TV Out the Window, Down in the Backpack, and The Ballad of Dirty Joe. Bill's work spans the generation gap. Singer, storyteller, author, playwright, educator, performing artist. Welcome to the world of Bill Harley, a world of wit and wisdom. 
And this week on the Voices in My Head podcast, Bill Harley has been one of the voices in my head. So I want to share this wonderful story of Christmas from Bill Harley. Commentator Bill Harley was a great saver, but he had a lot to learn about spending. As a young boy, he discovered the true spirit of giving as you are going to hear in this story. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of hot chocolate, maybe a Christmas cookie, Maybe if it's snowing outside, you can look out the window next to a crackling fire and enjoy this story by the talented Bill Harley. Christmas on a budget when I was seven years old. It was the first time I tried to buy all the presents for my family with my own money. I had a little more than three dollars and I spent most of it in the basement of G.C. Murphy's. That was the dime store near where I grew up in Indianapolis. And with that money I had to buy seven presents. I bought two blue plastic clothes hangers with pinchers on them, one for each grandmother. I bought a cigar for my grandfather who liked to chew them and leave them sitting around the house. I bought a model of a 1913 Stutz Bearcat for my older brother and a handheld pinball game for my younger brother. For my mother, I got a potato peeler or a potholder. I can't remember which because that's what I got her for six or seven years in a row. It's what she said she wanted, along with a few kind words. For my dad, I got liverwurst, which we opened on Christmas morning at 9 o'clock and had with crackers. Unfortunately, all these presents came to a little more money than I had and my mother had to help me out with the liverwurst. So in my eyes, I had failed. And I suppose my failure to do it all myself was one reason why I joined the Indiana National Bank Christmas Club the next summer. The bank near where I lived was a lot like other banks at the time. Now banks are like fast food places, but then there were churches, temples. They're huge, quiet. They had high ceilings, smooth, shiny marble floors. The counters were high. Everything took place out of my view, and there were bars, and behind the bars were huge safes, which I figured contained treasures of gold, emeralds, diamonds, rubies, rolls and rolls of thousand-dollar bills. And, of course, on the other side of the bars were the tellers, the priests of the church dispensing money, slips of paper, entrusted with a job to which few could ever hope to aspire. It was a grown-up's world. It had nothing to do with me except for one thing. There, high on a counter, out of reach, but well within sight, was a green sign with red lettering. And on the left-hand side, there was a picture of a Christmas tree, and next to it was printed, Christmas Club, payment blank this week. And in the blank was a number between 1 and 40. Christmas Club. I stood staring at the sign while my mother was in line, picturing secret meetings in warm, cozy places, where a brave and glorious group of people met for the sole purpose of the celebration of Christmas. Toys, presents, a Christmas club. I wanted to be a member. One day in August, I got on my bike with $2.25 in my pocket, and I headed to the Indiana National Bank with the intent of joining the Christmas club. As I rode into town, I felt different from other people. My decision to participate in an elite group set me apart. I could look at other human beings with more compassion, more understanding. I outdid myself that fall. There was no sacrifice too great in order to show my allegiance to the club. And every week on Friday, 
I made my deposit always more than a dollar. One week in mid-October at the height of the leaf raking season, I actually deposited $7.50. I'd gone without the movie, without the pinball games at the bowling alley, without any pleasure. Even the teller, who I now knew as Mr. Rumbauer, was impressed. All this time, no one knew. The thoughts of the secret I had, the passbook I hid in my drawer under my socks, and what Christmas would be like as promised by Mr. Hughes and Rumbauer and Miss Donnelly were enough to sustain me through the greatest period of discipline I have shown in my entire life. The week of Thanksgiving, I came home one day. My mom said, There's a letter for you on the piano. I found an envelope from the bank. I went to my room. I tore it open. I read the statement. It was a club's last week, and it said I could withdraw my money the first week of December. And at the bottom was my balance, $74.20. I was a rich man. I waited until the week before Christmas to go to the bank. I walked into the bank holding my book. I walked up to Mr. Rumbauer's window. There were three people ahead of me, but he spotted me right off, smiled, nodded. He knew what I was there for. Finally, it was my turn. Well, William, I know why you're here. I couldn't speak. I held the passbook up to him, and he reached over the counter to take it. He flipped through the pages of the book. Well, well, I have to say, that's quite a bit of money. Someone's going to have a very Merry Christmas. I could only smile. I was basking in the glory of being a Christmas Club member. Mr. Rumbauer opened his money drawer and said, How would you like it, tens or twenties? Some of both, I guess. Mr. Rumbauer counted out the money. He put it in an envelope with a wreath and candle on it. He slid it under the bars. There you go, Bill. Have a Merry Christmas. I reached for the envelope. I held it in my hands, and I looked up at him. There was more. I knew I was just standing there waiting for it. He saw me there, helpless and expectant, and he slid his hand under the bar and reached it out towards me. I took it. It was warm, moist, and limp. You're a good saver, Bill. Your parents should be proud of you. Next year you'll do even better. Then he took his hand back and went back to work. And that was it. It wasn't exactly what I'd expected, but there was this money. I stood by the door of the bank, holding the money close and looking through it. It seemed almost wrong to have so much money. It was dangerous, but it was exciting. It was a bottomless pit of money. And my disappointment over Mr. Rumbauer's limp hand gave way to excitement, thinking about what I could do with the money. Why, this club was incredible. Look at all the money I had. I, I was going to make this the best Christmas my family had ever had. I was going to buy the most expensive presents. The presents would stretch from the tree into the dining room. I left the bank. I was ready to spend. I walked right by G.C. Murphy's, a dime store. Not for me. But the next door was a jewelry store. I stopped and stared in the window. It was a world that had never been open to me before. But now that I was rich, I could go in there. I walked in. The man behind the counter asked if he could help me. He was thin and scary. A present for your mother, he said. How much do you have to spend? Here's a little pin for three dollars. Oh, no, I said. I have much more than that. Do you have any more expensive pins? Why, yes, we do. He opened up the jewelry case and took out a board of pins, and I saw it. A Christmas tree with little red, white, and green jewels on it. How much is that? Oh, he said, that's very nice. It costs twenty-four ninety-five. Twenty-four ninety-five. I could buy that and still have a lot left. I stared at it, excited at the thought of giving my mother something nicer than a potato peeler. 
But I wavered. He said, it's pretty, but it is expensive. That was a challenge. I like it, I said. Okay, I want to buy that, please. Fine, he said. I took the money out of the bank envelope. He pulled the pin off the board, and he put it in a gray velvet box. How much is the box, I asked. Oh, he said, no charge. Would you like me to wrap it? Sure, I said. What a deal, I thought. When you're rich, you get things for free. I left the store four feet off the ground. This was wonderful. I loved Christmas shopping. I walked down the street. I passed a bakery, and in the window, I saw some pastries encrusted in sugar with red goo oozing out the sides. I'd always wanted to have something like that. I had plenty of money. I walked in. I asked for a dozen. She said, here, I'll give you an extra one. What a deal, a dozen. I thought, I'll, I'll put them in my brother's stockings as Christmas presents. I walked outside the store. Standing there on the corner, I reached in the bag and I pulled one out. I bit in. It wasn't what I'd expected. It was dry on the inside. The red filling was too sweet. I put it back in the bag. I thought maybe they'd taste better later. The next stop was the deli. Inside the air was rich and tangy. I walked up to the counter and stared in the cooler. I saw the liverwurst there, surrounded by other sticks of meat and big rounds of cheese. It looked kind of puny. My dad liked cheese, too, especially that Swiss cheese there in the big round. My mom brought it home every once in a while, but not too often. She said it was too expensive. I asked the man behind the counter how much that cheese was. It's two fifty a pound, he said. Best we have. Here, try a piece. He cut me off a slice. And I asked him, how much did that whole wheel cost? Well, uh, it's a ten-pound wheel, but some is gone. Let's see, I'll give it to you for fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars, that was a lot for cheese, but, but I had enough money. There'd still be plenty left over, and my dad would be surprised. Okay, I said, I'll take it, and give me that little stick of liverwurst there, too. He asked me if he should wrap it. I couldn't carry it home on my bike with the other presents I was going to buy, but then he said he'd save it for me. Set it aside for Christmas. What a deal, I thought to myself. I left the deli full of confidence. I'd spent a lot of money on my parents, but then what I had left was more than I'd ever had. By that time, I couldn't stop. The shopping spirit was much bigger than I was, and the great amount of money I had started with still loomed in my mind. It was time for my brothers. Off I went to the sports and hobby shop. I wandered to the store, and then I stopped in front of the baseball mitts. Neither of my brothers liked baseball. I did. It wasn't to buy them. It was just to look. But then I saw it. The Maury Wills model infielder's glove. I took it off the rack and put it on. It was a perfect fit. The new leather smelled wonderful. It had a trap-action pocket. It had more webbing and laces and riding on it than any baseball mitt I'd ever seen. I knew I would never get a mitt like this from someone else. It cost fourteen ninety-five. It was what I deserved for my hard work at saving. Look at the presents I'd bought for people, grand presents, big-hearted presents. I bought the mitt. The woman asked me if I wanted a gift wrap. Sure, I said, that's great. I'd give it to myself in a little ceremony. I left the toy store and I sat on a curb in the parking lot. I took the wrap mitt out of the bag and I smelled the leather of it through the wrapping paper. I smoothed the wrapping paper out with my hands. I loved Christmas. And then I looked in my wallet, and my heart stopped. I'd been robbed. My money was gone. There were only $4 left. I searched my pockets. Only change. I must have dropped a $20 bill somewhere. I retraced my steps. In my mind, I looked in my wallet again. And then 
I began the painful process of adding up how much I had spent, and by the time I got to the pencil sharpener, I saw the mess I was in. Something terrible had happened. I had saved for months, and it was gone in 45 minutes. This wasn't fair. How could that happen? I went over it again and again in my mind, and then I looked at the baseball mitt all wrapped up, and this wave of guilt and shame washed over me, and there in the toy store parking lot, I cried. I was furious with someone, with the people who'd sold me these things. Why didn't they say no? I was furious with the Christmas club. Why weren't they there to help me? What kind of club was this anyway? I reached into the bag of pastries, pulled one out, and took another bite. It tasted worse than before. I threw them away. There were still five presents left to buy. I bought two cigars for my grandfather. They were cheap. One more cigar than I'd given him last year, but I was already defeated and I dragged myself home. What was I going to do? Well, over the next two days, I pulled off an incredible feat. I covered all my bases but one. It turns out my mother had gotten nightgowns for both of my grandmothers, and she wanted me and my two brothers to give them for Christmas. I volunteered to pay some money, knowing it would give me a little time. I rifled my desk. I took the pennies out of the piggy bank, 27 cents from the miscellaneous cup on the kitchen counter, and I put together enough to buy a board game for my younger brother. And that was it. I'd spent all I had, every last penny. And there was my older brother with no present. Christmas Day, when the presents were all unwrapped, he would say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't get a present from Bill. And my failure would be a matter of public record. Tactically, it would have made better sense to give my mother a new potato peeler and a few kind words. I had failed. And giving my teacher the pencil sharpener at school didn't make it any better. Nor did the school Christmas party, nor my grandparents showing up at the house on Christmas Eve, nor did the big meal we had that evening. I was inconsolable. This holiday cheer seemed a veneer. It was totally false. And to think, I had the Christmas club to blame. What a shallow group of people they were. After dinner, my mother was put in the dishes in the dishwasher. I sat at the kitchen table and I waited. This was my way of starting large conversations with my mother. Make her think she started them. She did. She said, Did you like dinner? Yeah, I guess. Something wrong? Yeah, kinda. What's wrong? Oh, Mom, I didn't get a present for John. My mom stopped what she was doing. I, I saw that I'd caught her by surprise. Why not, she said. I didn't have enough money. Why not? And then it came out. I told her the whole story about the Christmas club, which, of course, she'd known about all along. I described all the money I'd spent on the other people, leaving out her present and the baseball mitt. My mom loaded the dishwasher the whole time, never offered any advice. When it was over, she said, Well, John will have other presents. Mom, I said, that's not the point. I didn't get him one. I don't have anything to give him, don't you see? And all this time, the burden of the mitt was still there. It was the one thing I was holding back, protecting. I didn't want to give it up, but it was just too much. Mom, I bought myself a baseball mitt, too. She was silent. Maury Will's model and trap action pocket and everything. She sat down at the table and asked, if you didn't buy the mitt, could you have bought John a present? 
I had nothing to say. She said, well, there's still a present or two of John's that we haven't wrapped. If you give me the baseball mitt, we can find something for you to give him. I went to my room, I slid under the bed, and in the far corner was the wrapped box, the mitt. I carried it into my mother's room. She was there waiting. I smoothed the wrapping paper, the box. I could smell the leather, the mitt through the box. And then I gave it away. I gave it away. My mother took it and she put it high up in her closet out of reach. And from out of the closet she pulled a huge box, a model of a 1932 cord automobile, a model I knew my brother really wanted. She handed it to me and I wrapped it. And then I went and I put it under the tree. I was a free man. I will always remember that Christmas because I remember each present I gave and the look on the faces. My dad called for the crackers when he opened the liverwurst. I don't think we ever finished the cheese. It may still be there in the refrigerator at my parents' house if they took it with them when they moved. My mother was speechless when she opened the box that held the pin. She put it on immediately. My grandfather opened up one of his cigars and began chewing. I remember all the presents. But my brother John's was the best. He looked at the car and said, You got this for me? Brothers aren't supposed to do things like that, and he knew it. And so there we were, amid all the paper and the liverwurst, the orange peels, the board games, the model pieces, shell-shocked from it all, when my mother said, Oh, I forgot one more. And she got up and went to her room, and she came back with the familiar box, the gift wrapping, the baseball mitt. She handed it to me. Somebody dropped this off for you, she said. One of my brothers said, Who's it from? And she said, The Christmas Club. Well, my friends, I'm wishing you a very Merry Christmas. I encourage you to go to BillHarley.com and find out more about Bill Harley. I think you are really going to enjoy the stuff that you find there. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head. And uh, Bill Harley, if you're listening, it's been a pleasure to have you being one of the Voices in My Head this week. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.